everyone. I'm your host, Lacey Cruz, and this is Through the Fire, an NPBC podcast. On this episode, we're starting Nehemiah. So we're going through a small intro into who Nehemiah was and the events surrounding his timeline. And we're going to go through chapters one to three. So without further ado, let's jump in. We're going to start with an intro to Nehemiah. So first of all, Nehemiah, the name, means Yahweh comforts. In ancient times, Nehemiah and Ezra were one book. We know that because that's how they're referenced in early Jewish writings that we found. It's thought that the same author who wrote Ezra also wrote Nehemiah. Both books have sections written in first person, implying that both Ezra and Nehemiah left a record giving their view of what happened but other sections seem to be written in by a later author who was putting it all together. Let's look at some dates surrounding the events in Nehemiah. So about 597 BC, Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, begins a three-month siege of Judah's capital city, Jerusalem. The Babylonians pillage Jerusalem and claim the southern kingdom. So 587 BC, Judah's king, Zedekiah, revolts against Babylonian control. King Nebuchadnezzar responds by destroying Jerusalem along with its temple and city walls, which we can see in 2 Kings 24, verse 10, through 25, verse 21. Around 586 BC, the rest of the tribe of Judah is carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. The exiles from Judah become servants of the Babylonians, and many marry into the Babylonians. We see this in 2 Chronicles 36.20 and Jeremiah 29 and 52. Also, this is where Daniel comes in. In 539 BC, under the rule of King Cyrus, the kingdom of Persia conquers Babylon, inheriting the exiles of Judah. We see that in 2 Chronicles 36 verses 20 to 21. In 538 BC, compelled by the Holy Spirit, King Cyrus issues a decree stating that anyone from Judah can return home without penalty, that the temple in Jerusalem is to be rebuilt, that Cyrus's royal treasury will fund all of that work, and that anything King Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple is to be returned. We see that in Ezra chapters 1 to 6. Then, in 515 BC, King Darius issues a decree that allows the Jewish people to finish building the temple without interruption. The temple is commonly referred to as the Second Temple, and it's completed in Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel and the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. So, now Haggai and Zechariah are also during this time period. About 479 BC, Esther comes into play. Esther becomes queen of Persia after marrying King Ahasuerus. As queen, Esther uses her influence to stop the Persians from persecuting the Jewish people. In 458 BC, a new Persian king, Artaxerxes I, issues a decree declaring that the exiles living in Persia are free to return home to Judah. Nehemiah remains in Persia, eventually becoming the royal cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. We see that in Ezra 7 to 10. 
And then now we finally get to Nehemiah, which is around 444 BC. While serving in the Persian city of Susa, Nehemiah learns that Jerusalem is in great disrepair. When he hears the news, he asks the Lord to give him favor with King Artaxerxes so he can return to Jerusalem to repair its walls and gates. So those are a bunch of dates, <laughs> but it gives you a picture of what's going on in the world at the time. Who else is really involved in this? Because there are a lot of biblical characters that come up from Babylon, leading them into exile and uh, breaking down the walls and the temple to right here where Nehemiah is at. So it's just a good note that all of those different books of the Bible are working together to get us to this point. Also, just as a side note, Zechariah was a prophet still during this time. So the theme of Nehemiah is the Lord's protection of his people and the need for their faithfulness in worship and in keeping the law. The purpose is that the Jewish community was struggling to maintain its identity as the people of the Lord because it faced internal and external pressures. The literary features, this is a sequel to Ezra, as I previously stated. It covers about 13 years total, and it includes narrative and documentary materials. Documentary just meaning like lists and inventories and things like that. Also, all of this information that I'm getting from the intro and the different dates can be seen in an ESV study Bible or in the She Reads Truth Nehemiah study. I'm using both of those to go through this study myself. Let's now look at chapter one of Nehemiah. So just a few historical notes about this. The wall surrounding Jerusalem was initially broken down by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in 586 BC. This was also when he burned down the temple and carried many Jews back to Babylon in captivity. We've already talked about that. But this meant that the Jews who remained could not defend themselves or sacrifice in the temple. That was very important. That means that they could not follow through with the old covenant at this point because they no longer had a temple. So let's keep that in mind as we read through Nehemiah. And let's start reading in chapter 1. Also, just to preface, I don't know how to pronounce some of these names. So I'm going to do my best and we're just going to roll with it. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, to give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So let's look at this verse by verse. Verse 3, Nehemiah hears about the troubled Jews who have made their way back to Jerusalem. Their walls and their gates are destroyed. But how does Nehemiah react to this news? First, with weeping and mourning, and second, with fasting and praying. So it's not just that he's grieving for these people, but he's also taking action with the fasting and praying. Verses 5 to 7 show that in his prayer, he confessed his sins, his family's sins, and the sins of all Israel. He knows that Israel's sin and breaking their part of the covenant got them to this place. Verse 8, he asked God to remember his promises to them. And verse 11, he also asked that God give him success in what he was about to do and grant him mercy in the sight of the king, knowing that God can change the hearts of everyone, including kings, but that what he was about to do was very dangerous, and he could be killed by the king if the king did not like what he said. So his job was cupbearer to the king. It's a very important position. The king relies on him, and he has close, frequent access to the king. He's an outsider, a Jew, with this position, which is abnormal, that he would be this trusted by a king as an outsider. He's not a prophet or a priest or in any other position with religious significance. He's not the leader of a group of people. He's not anyone really important in the eyes of the Jews or even in the eyes of the Assyrians. He's not that important. But God can take someone who is not that important and make something out of him. Someone who is glorifying to his name. So let's look at chapter 2 now. We're going to read through all of chapter 2 and then we're going to talk about it again. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing as you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, 
that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And so the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So chapter 2 starts about four months after Nehemiah first heard about the problems in Jerusalem. So he prayed when he first heard about it, and then he asked the king, it's thought, four months later. So verses 1 and 2 Nehemiah had not previously been upset about Jerusalem in the king's presence, but the king saw the change in him now. Nehemiah was afraid because what he was about to ask could be taken badly by the king, which could cost him his life. Verse 3, Nehemiah shows his loyalty to the king first and then explains his sadness. Verse 4, Nehemiah had already prayed about the situation before now, but prayed again before answering. That's very important in any situation that we're in, that we pray about it beforehand, but also that we pray during, so we know exactly what to say, what God wants us to do in that moment. Verses 5 and 6, Nehemiah requests he be given time to help in Jerusalem, and the king agreed. Once Nehemiah gave a time, he would return. Verses 7 to 8, Nehemiah asked for, for provisions that would help him on his journey and his mission in Jerusalem. It says the king agreed to all of it because God was orchestrating it all. Verses 9 and 10, Nehemiah was sent by the king to Jerusalem with imperial authority backing him, which was the king's army officers and horsemen. Some didn't approve of this imperial authority coming to help them. But verses 11 to 16, Nehemiah surveys the damage to the walls and he doesn't tell anyone what he's doing just yet. 
So no one really knows at that point why he's here, why this imperial authority is here. So it's okay that they have questions, but it's the way that they come at him with those questions that signals that there's a problem in their own heart. Verses 17 to 20, Nehemiah exhorts his countrymen to work to build back the walls around Jerusalem, despite opposition already arising. Those who opposed Nehemiah alleged he was rebelling against the king by doing this. Nehemiah knew the king had given him permission, but that's not how he responded. He told them that basically God gave them the authority to do this. And because those people are not serving the Lord, they have no allocated land or entitlement there in Jerusalem. Also, they're not from Jerusalem. So it's also kind of like, why are you even here? Why do you care what we're doing to Jerusalem? This is not your city. This is our city, and we're going to rebuild it because, one, God is with us, and two, because you have no right to say anything when you're not from here. So let's look at chapter three now. So we're not going to read all of this together, but I really encourage you to go back and read through every single verse of chapter three. But this chapter lists off everyone who helped build the walls and how much of the wall that they built. Um, Just as a side note, Excavations have uncovered remains of Nehemiah's wall system, which seems to have incorporated walls from previous ages. Um, So it's a smaller portion of Jerusalem than it was previously because not all the people had come back yet. So he just built a wall around the areas that were currently occupied. That's why it was, you know, a smaller wall system. It's not currently what Jerusalem is today or even was before the exile, it's a much smaller portion. But those wall systems have been uncovered in Jerusalem, which is incredible that we can actually see the evidence of Nehemiah's wall system. Because the inhabited portion of Jerusalem was so small at the time, it was actually only the eastern hill of Jerusalem that was fortified. So you can kind of see that on a map if you look it up. I looked at it in the pictures of my study Bible, which was also really cool. So what can we learn from this long list of hard-to-pronounce names? Everyone helped. No matter their normal job, if they could help a little, if they could help a lot, if they needed a lot of help to finish their section, if they were a man or a woman, etc. Priests and Levites helped in verses 1, 17, and 28. Some people worked alone. An example of that is in verse 15. Some people needed help or they worked together to build their small section. As we can see in the end of verse 25 to verse 26. And also some women helped build. Which we can see in verse 12. They helped their father. Those who didn't help either complained, as we can see in chapter 4. Or refused to stoop to do this work for the Lord which it says in verse 5 of chapter 3. Sometimes work needs to be done that's outside your, you know, quote-unquote giftings. But the task still needs to get done. So be a team player by being the hands and feet of Christ anyway. Whether that's exactly what you want to do or not. So where is God in these verses in chapter 3? It doesn't talk about God very much in these verses, but he is the one that's actually building the wall. He is the one that's providing the materials to build the wall. 
And he is in the heart of each and every person who is doing this because they're working for him. That's their goal. They're not working just for themselves, but they're working to rebuild their city and to rebuild the walls and to do all of this work for the Lord. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's what the Bible tells us, even in the New Testament. It tells us whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's what I love about chapter 3. Chapter 3 is one of my favorite chapters of Nehemiah and one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament, really, because it shows how everyone is supposed to work together. Everyone in the church has a different gifting But sometimes stuff just has to get done. And you need a lot of people to come together and work together for one cause, not for them to look good or for people to notice them, but doing it all for the glory of God. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram anytime at Building Lois Ministries, and that's Lois, L-O-I-S. If you need me, comments will get my attention much faster than DMs. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week.